Hey podcast listeners, this is Todd Finley, the founder of HBCU Grad, and I want to say thank you for your support so far. We really appreciate it. On this episode, we talked to Dr. Tiffany Turner, the CEO of Rodox, about the future of medicine, HBCUs, and how Rodox is making quality health care available to many online. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Yes, welcome to episode four of the HBCU audio experience. This is Todd Finley, and this is a podcast brought to you by HBCU grad. Today, I have Dr. Tiffany Turner with me. Dr. Turner, welcome, and please tell our audience who you are and what you do. Oh, wow. Well, um, I'm Tiffany Turner. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician, and I am the newest CEO of a telemedicine company called Rodox. What is telemedicine? Hmm. Telemedicine uh, can be defined as many things, but at Rodox, we define telemedicine as um, providing healthcare specifically via video chat with a licensed physician or healthcare professional. Okay. Now, has this always been legal or is this something that is new to the medical field? Oh, it's definitely the new wave of medicine and the laws surrounding telemedicine vary by state to state. Um, And so there are several states that are getting on board uh, with this new wave of medicine and it's definitely legal um, now exactly how to practice it. Uh, again, varies from state to state. And and as I mentioned, the laws are becoming a lot more open and accepting of this new vehicle of providing medicine. Okay. Now I'm going to take you back a little bit before we get into where you're at now and road docs. Tell us mm-hmm. where you're from and how was your upbringing? Huh. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from New York. Um And people always ask, oh, are you from New York City? And so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. My family currently resides in Long Island. And um, my upbringing, I guess I had some transitions. Uh, You know, again, I grew up mostly in an urban environment. Um, And kind of midway through my childhood, we moved to the suburbs. And so there was some contrast there, both of which contributed to who I am today. Um, I'm not sure questions, any other questions about that, if you want me to expound? Sure. Did you, do you have any siblings? Nope. I'm an only child. One okay. and only. <laughs> okay. And... At what time in your childhood, or was it later, that you decided that you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, wow. Um, I have known for a long time that I wanted to be a doctor. I think I was maybe eight or nine years old when I had the first thought that this could be a path for me. Uh, My parents, from a very young age, tried to instill in me that I needed to have a direction in life. And... um, My dad in particular would ask me, you know, what do you think you want to be and why? 
And um, I was really into science. I really wanted to work with people and help people. And so it was kind of a natural path for me. When you started people that you wanted to be a doctor, did you get a lot of positive encouragement or were there any naysayers that kind of fueled you? Uh, Interestingly, my family um, has always been very supportive. Um, However, my peers, while recognizing that I was intelligent, um, I found out a little bit later in life that a lot of people were quite surprised that I actually made it happen. Mm. Now, was there anybody in your childhood that was a doctor that you said, I want to be like this person? Mm, I mean, other than my pediatrician, I didn't have physicians in my life, so not really. Okay. What did your parents do when you were growing up? Um, My parents both work for the uh, post office, and so that's where they met almost 40 years ago. Um, And yeah, so my dad's retired and my mom is, is still working for the postal service. Okay. And do you think it was more of your dream to be a doctor or their dream? I think it was our dream. Um, I'm very close with my parents being an only child. Um, And I spent time as I got older volunteering at a hospital and doing different programs that helped foster that interest. And so as I got older, it was definitely a personal interest. Okay. Okay. And so you say you were good in science. Were there any other indicators that young that you probably had what it take what it took to be a doctor from a school standpoint? Um, I think really what people don't realize about medicine and a lot of other professional careers are that very early on, you have to be a self learner. Um, it takes a lot of self motivation. Um, and the desire to learn things on your own. And I think I expressed that fairly early on. Okay. Okay. Now, your peers that were on the same track, did a lot of them make it through or not? A, or was it half and half? Give me a, a feel for the percentage of people that you knew before, even college mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, undergrad that made it through medical school and are doctors now. Um, I mean, my peers, a lot of my peers growing up didn't have the same um, desire for medicine in particular, Um, but most of my peers have been successful in their own fields. Mm -hmm. Now, what college did you go to? I went to the illustrious Howard University. Okay, okay. And (laughs) what made you choose Howard? Oh, man. Uh, So um, I don't I didn't have anyone in my family that went to an HBCU. And so outside of television, I didn't really have much experience with HBCUs. And and Howard sent a letter to my home saying that they would pay give me a full scholarship for college. And my parents Mm -hmm decided before I did that I was going to Howard. <laughs> That's how that happened. Yeah, they, they made a good decision. They did. Now, how was your experience? 
<laughs> now, how was your experience in undergrad? It was awesome. I mean, really, it's it's hard to put into words, but um, the things that I really valued about being at Howard were being around so many people like myself, meaning being around so many Black people that came from so many different places, cultures, um, just seeing the diversity within our community was was really awesome to me. And um, in addition to that, the support that I got, you know, not only from my peers, but more so from my professors um, was more than I could have imagined. And I'm really appreciative for the time that I spent there. And you, so you had a, an academic scholarship? Correct. Mm-hmm. And what was your GPA in high school? Oh, my GPA in high school, I was a 3.7. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you credit it to you being extremely smart or you being in a hard worker or the systems you had in place to be successful? It was definitely both. Um, you know, it's funny because I talk to a lot of my younger family members and I try to impress upon them that being intelligent is not enough. Um, and, um, so I definitely think it was both hard work and intelligence. Okay. Now, were you one that studied all the time or were (laughs) you one that just studied enough where you're going to get by and your intelligence took you to the next level? I think that uh, I went through a transition. Um, When I was a little bit younger, I relied more on being smart and I was, you know, unfortunately a little lazy, I would admit. But my parents, um, they didn't accept anything less than good to great. (laughs) And so if I got anything less than an A or a B, it was a big problem. And that only happened once because after I had that problem with them, I realized I had to step it up and I I got into motivating myself. (laughs) And it was just a matter of effort, right? Absolutely. Mm Okay. Okay. Now, do you suggest an HBCU to... Uh, anyone that's coming up, or is it a certain person that you would suggest an HBCU to? Before we get into the meat of the conversation, I want to acknowledge our sponsor, Squarespace, who we actually use to build HBCUgrads.com. Got it. Uh, And so I would suggest an HBCU to any young person. I think that HBCUs have so much to offer that anyone can benefit at that point in their life. Um, And obviously the people that are influencing particular young people have to help them make the best decision, but I I would absolutely recommend an HBCU. Okay. Now, where did you go to medical school at? I went to Temple University. Okay. Okay. What made you go to a PWI for medical school instead of one of the HBCU medical schools? Well, I will say um, 
after having gone to an HBCU and moving forward to this professional career, I wanted to have a varied experience because that's what makes you well-rounded. Um, and when I went to Temple in particular, uh, I found that they were very interested in uh, being involved in the community. I knew that I would receive a great education. Um, and so uh, those were my reasons for picking Temple in particular. All right, All right, that, that makes sense. And so medical school is usually how long? It's four years. Okay, four years. And what are the standards that you have to maintain to keep good standing in medical school? Oh, there are many. <laughs> um, and so obviously um, the first two years you take uh, classes in a classroom and so you have to pass your exams, but um, you start taking your board exams. Um, I want to say the first one is in your second year of medical school. So you have to pass your classes and pass those board exams. And are the board exams tough? Yes. <laughs> what makes them tough? Um, many things. I mean, you have to prepare for them while you're still in school. And in addition to that, the tests are usually about eight hours long. And that first test is two eight-hour days. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you obviously did well on that and did well through medical school. So once you graduated, mm -hmm. what was your next professional step? Uh, once you graduate, uh, you move on to residency, which is in the particular specialty you plan to practice in. Okay. And where did you do your residency? Uh, I did my residency in internal medicine at George Washington University. Okay. Okay. So you've been kind of all over. Oh yeah. Uh, through your whole professional journey. Mm -hmm. Okay. And where are you currently? I'm in Northern Virginia. And so I stayed in the DC area after residency. Okay. Okay. I love the, I love the DMV. Mm -hmm. That's probably my favorite part of the, part of the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. So bringing, bringing us up to the day, you're with Rodox, and how did you get with Rodox, and what does Rodox do? Uh, and so uh, the founder of Rodox is actually a close friend and colleague from medical school. She and I went to Temple University together, and um, essentially how I became a part of Rodox is I knew that she had started her own private practice, meaning Dr. Rowe, and was looking to add telemedicine to her clinic, which she did successfully. And the next step for her was to expand this opportunity to other physicians looking to be involved in telemedicine. And so I um, was on board. I, I wanted to get involved. Okay. And you're currently the CEO or COO? Uh, and so I'm currently the CEO. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. How is that? How is it being the CEO 
um, and where the buck stops with you? Uh, it's busy <laughs> uh, because I, I still practice as a hospitalist. So I work as a full-time hospitalist here in Northern Virginia. And in addition to that, I've kind of gone up the ranks of our management team to CEO. <clears throat> and so if I could put it into one word, it would be busy. <laughs> and how many doctors are within Rondox and in your network? So we have a little over 50 doctors across the country in our network. Okay. And how do you recruit them? How do you keep them? How do you keep them motivated? How do you guys communicate? Give me a feel for uh, what it's like if a doctor wants to be a part of your network, how they're vetted and mm -hmm. how their time with you guys usually goes. Okay. Um, so if a physician wants to become a part of the network, they would go to our website um, and there's an interest form there. And, you know, Ultimately, we get a feel for what your goals are with practicing medicine and with joining our network. Um, and if we feel that it's a fit, uh, we move forward to get all your information to make sure you are who you say you are and that it's safe for you to help care for our patients. Um, and from there, you get trained on the platforms that we use. And we use a lot of um, social media to um, communicate not only with our docs, but with our patients. Um, we also have a conference that we give every year called the Virtual Physician Summit, where it's a nice opportunity for physicians interested in telemedicine, in addition to docs that are a part of our network to get together and figure out how to grow um, this burgeoning field. Okay. Now, give me a feel for what clients you work with and what the client experience is when they interact with Rodocs. And so clients for us are patients. Um, and um, essentially, we're looking to work with, it's kind of a plethora of people that we work with. So we work with the busy professional that doesn't have time to go to a brick and mortar practice. We work with students. Um, we work with elderly patients who can't make it out of their home to get to the doctor as easily. And so it really runs the gamut. Um, and the experience is pretty straightforward. I mean, you call in, you make an appointment, and at the time of your appointment, you get online and you see your doctor face-to-face -face, just like you would in person. And you tell them what's wrong and we do our best to help you. Um, you know, really the biggest thing is, you know, obviously there are certain emergencies we can't handle online, but we are very well prepared to deal with urgent care issues and even some chronic issues like high blood pressure or diabetes that require a lot of maintenance care. Okay. And now that I'm thinking about it, most things probably you don't need to really have an uh, an office visit. I'm just thinking of, you know, some different things that, you know, maybe a child may have a, a certain bump and the parent may want to show you or mm -hmm. the student say, hey, I have, you know, something you can kind of diagnose things online. That, ma that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Now, 
what is the average cost? Is the cost less because they don't have to come in or is it pretty much on par because of the convenience? Well, right. It's on par because, <clears throat> you know, physicians time, it, you know, is really what we're paying for. And so the average cost is $100 per visit. It's comparable to the cost of an urgent care visit. Um, with the added convenience of not having to leave your home or your job or or wherever you are. That makes sense. Now, does someone have to have insurance or is this something they can just pay with their PayPal? Absolutely not. And so if you would like to use your insurance, we're happy to bill your insurance, but uh, uh, you can pay out of pocket as well. Do most of your patients pay out of pocket or... Or do you deal with mostly insurance or Medicaid? We deal with the mix, and we don't have a preference. We're just trying to increase access to care for patients. Okay, okay. What challenges do you do you all run into? Is it acquiring patients? Is it educating patients? What type of challenges do you guys see, knowing that this is a, a new telemedicine type of thing? Yeah, I think really um, the biggest challenge is that there's a lot of interest in telemedicine because it's new, because it uses technology and we're all, you know, using technology for most things. But um, to actually get someone to make that transition from interest to use can be difficult um, because people are just used to the traditional um practice of going into the doctor. Um, And so even for young people, sometimes making that transition mentally can be difficult. Okay. And I was thinking thinking of it from a guy's perspective, and sometimes not as many guys may go to the doctor, maybe because of convenience, scared, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Do you you think long-term this is going to make affordable health care accessible to more people? Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, a lot of the issues that are taking place with um, health care costs have to do with people delaying um, going in for care. And so if something starts out small and you wait three to six months to go to the doctor or go to the ER, you know, it can cost you a lot more money in the long run. And so I'm hopeful that people will continue to get on board. Uh, One, because of the convenience. Two, because you won't have to lose money from your job or lose money by having to hire childcare while you're trying to care for yourself. And secondly, if you take care of things earlier on, it will cost you a a lot less. Right, right. Now, for when... For for a doctor, what is the motivation to get people uh, healthy? Because I've heard this argument a few times where mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for doctors to get people healthy because that takes away their <laughs> income. <source. laughs> Um, Well, I mean, you know, for me, I can only speak for myself and my motivations for being a physician are for people to actually be well. And so it's easier to prevent a disease than it is to try to fix it. Um, And so, you know, I see myself always being in business, even if it is just to promote prevention and healthy lifestyles. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when you promote prevention and healthy lifestyle, what do you suggest people do as far as lifestyle to make it where they a lot of things and on, um, you know, current diseases that you have versus um, family history of certain diseases, but just in general, I mean, it's the things that we all know that you should exercise um, at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week. You want to have a well-balanced diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, get enough sleep. You know, it's, it's things that we all know, but don't routinely practice. I know you know about Dr. Sebi. What do you think about his teachings? I do not know about Dr. Sebi. <laughs> Enlighten me. <laughs> okay. He, he was a doctor. Well, I guess he wasn't, he wasn't a trained uh, doctor, but he's the one that they say had the cure for AIDS and that cured blindness and uh, a lot of different diseases. And it's all through a holistic natural approach. Mm. And he's the one, I guess, worked with Magic Johnson and Michael Jackson, a lot of different people. And Mm. he died maybe a year or two ago of pneumonia, but at 80 something years old, he could jump from the ground onto a table, onto his knees and, mm. and right back down, and, you know, and be okay. But mm-hmm. uh, his, his teachings, you'll have to look them up one day, but his teachings were just about what type of, you know, foods to eat and what to do. And, you know, he had a lot of different approaches, but mm-hmm. there, uh, I think the United States, they brought a case against him and it ended up going to the Supreme court and mm. he, in court, he told the judge that in the Bible, it says that everything that's that we need as humans is already here. And the judge agreed with him. He also said um, every disease is mucus based and the judge agreed with him. And then it was another point that he made. The judge agreed with him and he said, OK, now you have to bring in you have to bring in. Uh, 12, 13 cases that where you document that you cured blindness, paralysis, HIV. It was about 13 different ones. He needed one. He needed to bring in one case where he uh, cured this. And mm-hmm. he came to court and he brought 70 different cases. And mm-hmm. uh, he ended up beating the United States saying that he wasn't a real doctor or whatever. It's a, he's a, fascinating guy and you know fascinating cases that they didn't really talk about and uh the rumors they killed him but hmm. yeah that's not gonna be in the next in a, in a nutshell interesting okay yeah so have you heard about any cases like that where holistic doctors that aren't classically trained are healing people Well, I don't have any particular cases or doctors' names, but am I familiar with um, the practice of integrative medicine and usually using holistic practice to treat disease? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you you think there are any type of conspiracies between uh, what what type of things we have cures from and what they kind of keep from the public? 
Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> so I'm not either. <laughs> um, no, I I don't I don't uh, subscribe to any conspiracy theories in that regard. Okay, yeah, because I'm a I'm a sports guy, and a lot of people mm-hmm. say different sports are fixed and things like that, and I don't mm-hmm. subscribe to that either. So mm-hmm. I, I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Now, for people that are that want to be doctors, what can their expected salaries be? Oh wow, <laughs> that runs the gamut. I mean, that really runs the gamut from about. 110,000 to millions. It really just depends on what field you choose and in what area you practice, meaning geographic area you practice. Okay. What opportunities do you see in the medical field going forward, maybe say for now and maybe the next five to 10 years? Hmm. What opportunities? Um, I mean, I really think telemedicine is one of the biggest opportunities. I mean, uh, if you will notice and people that are listening will notice, insurance companies are sending out informational um, brochures about telemedicine and talking about paying or charging less for telemedicine visits than they charge for urgent care or ER visits. And so it was just an easy segue for me to talk about telemedicine. <laughs> uh, that, that makes sense. So if someone has an issue in the middle of the night and do you guys have people that are on staff 24 seven or available 24 seven? So that's our goal. We're not at the point where we have people on 24 seven, but we definitely have doctors that take late hours and it really just depends on what state you're in. We're constantly growing, um, and I would encourage anyone just to log on to www.rodox.com to see if someone's available to help with your needs. Is this available in everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world? Where's the What's the availability of Rodox? So we are not in every state at this time. As I mentioned Each month, we're signing on new doctors, and so we're currently in about 22 states, and we're constantly growing. And so we're a small company, but uh, we will get there. Now, how does Rodox market their services? Uh, I mean, we have a lot of different marketing strategies, but the biggest one is social media. I mean, um, one of our biggest target audiences are millennials, which are, you know, essentially our young professionals. And then Gen Z, which are our college students. Um, And so social media is the biggest push that we have, but we do have physicians that have brick and mortar practices. And so we have, you know, information that we give out in the offices. Um, We're doing um, actually a big um, initiative with our churches. Um, And so our physicians are tapping into their church communities to um, make sure they're aware that the service is available. And then the, the, 
Last, I will say, is our college communities. And so we have a student ambassador program where we're tapping into the student population to make make them aware of what we're doing. And how's that coming? How's how's the penetration within uh, the college community, but within the HBCU community as well? I mean, it's coming along. I, I definitely, we're constantly looking for more student ambassadors because really um, that's the generation that um, is most likely, I think, to utilize this type of service. I mean, this generation, they're used to doing everything from their cell phones. Um, And so um, we're always looking for more student ambassadors for any students that are interested in medicine or just tech. You know, um, there's a lot to be gained from the experience we're offering. Where should they, where should anyone go if they want to become a student ambassador for Rodox? And so if you're interested in becoming a student ambassador, you can email welcome at Rodox.com and um, just express your interest and we'll be happy to send you um, the application for that position. And how many people are in your top management team? Because I know a lot of times when you have a small company or, or company that's that's growing, the management team kind of grows fast as well. So how many people are there and how do you keep everyone motivated and on task? And so we have we actually have a smaller management team. So there are four of us currently. Um, how do we keep each other motivated? We meet weekly (laughs) and, um, we just continue to set goals, higher and higher goals for ourselves. And we uh, hold each other accountable. Um, yeah. Do you, do you all communicate a lot during the day or is it just during specific times? And so I communicate a lot every day. (laughs) Um, But uh, as far as the management team communicating as a whole, we do that once weekly and then as needed. Okay. And most communications, are they informal or formal? Um, Informal. Informal, you know, on a day-to-day basis, but formal for that once weekly meeting. Okay. Do you see that helps that you communicate more informally? I think um, it helps keep things going as far as operations are concerned, just to be accessible and and responsive throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Now, do you you guys handle social media and all your marketing in-house? No, we do outsource um, some of that. So some is in-house and we outsource as well. Okay. Okay. Now, as far as keeping your core competencies, your core competencies in house, I know that marketing is so so important to you. Um, how do you make sure that the vendors that you use are doing what they're supposed to do? And if they aren't, how do you communicate and kind of motivate them? 
Um, I mean, ultimately, as far as the vendors we use, um, there's always competition, right? There's competition in every field. And so if we have formed a rapport and a good relationship with a particular vendor, you know, obviously we want to get feedback to make sure we're getting what we need and that our goals are met. But I mean, the bottom line is there's always competition. So if the goals aren't being met... Um, then we have to explore other options. Right, right. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, what I know, you know, you're a, you know, a doctor, but what made you feel that you had what it takes to be the CEO of a growing kind of startup field type of organization? Um, I think it's. I mean, I. I think that I possess good leadership qualities. They're necessary in uh, my career as a physician. But in addition to that, I think it really is just my passion for what we're doing, Um, which, as I mentioned, is really just to increase access to care, especially for our community, meaning the African-American community, because there are so many things that are ravaging our community like heart disease, it's it's um, uh, Heart Awareness Month or Heart Disease Awareness Month, like diabetes, high blood pressure, things that are really preventable. Um, and so my passion to uh, get the word out to our people that, that their lives can be so much better if they just care for themselves is, is what really motivates me to do this. When you look at older people that have health issues, what are some common threads that you've seen of, were they not active younger? Did they not eat well? What do you see that is preventable? And what are some of the habits that people had where that aren't healthy as they, you know, as they age? Um, I think some of the biggest things are getting back to those lifestyle Um, qualities like diet, um, you know, I think people kind of pick one of the two extremes, either they eat really, really healthy, or they eat really badly, as opposed to doing things in moderation, which is all we really expect as physicians. Um, And as far as exercise is concerned as well, I think, again, people pick the extremes, they either run marathons, or they sit on the couch all day. And, um, you know, if you just took a walk, you know, a few times a week or went out and played with your grandkids or whatever it is, it will really improve your your health. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in what direction, well, five to 10 years from now, where do you see yourself professionally and where do you see robots? Hmm. Five to 10 years from now, uh, my goal would be to uh, create a balance between my traditional practice as a hospitalist and to have a robust telemedicine practice of my own. Um, I do hope to be um, a part of the management team at Rodox in some capacity, even if it is not a CEO at that point. Um, And what do I see for Rodox? I mean, really, our goal is 
not only to be represented in every state in this country, but to be represented worldwide. We do actually have a few physicians um, in the international community in Turkey, also in Jamaica. Um, I hope I'm not missing any of our international partners, but um, the goal will be to be widely represented, um, to have changed the outcome of, of people's health by being a part of their, their team of healthcare providers. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Now, I, kn- I know you're busy and you have, you know, different things going on. What are your thoughts on uh, work-life balance? And how do you maintain it? Um, my thoughts on work-life balance are that it's necessary to have some sort of balance. Um, and I think just the awareness that you have to have some balance is the first step. Um, how do I handle that? I mean, <laughs> every day is different. Um, but... You know, my schedule is a little bit different than other people's because I work for a week and then I'm off a week. Oh. Um, and I just, yeah, I mean, each day I prioritize something. So some days my priority is going to be my hospitalist job. Some days it will be Rodox and some days it will be my family. And um, when I perfect that balance, I will let you know. <laughs> okay. But if you if you truly love what you do, you know, balance is kind of subjective. And, Correct. you know, I know I love what I do. So it's fun to me to work. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm good now, my family can be good as well. Of course. Well, can you tell us where, where we can find Rodox online? What you guys do as far as uh, social media, where's the best place to get in touch with you and anything else you want to say about Rodox? Sure. Um, And so the best place to get in touch with us is at our website. That's www.rodox.com. It's R-O-W-E-D-O-C-S.com. Um, We're very active on Instagram. You can just, our page is called Rodox. Uh, same on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Turner. It was a it was a pleasure having you on. And if there's anything we can ever do for you, please do not hesitate to reach out and let us know. Awesome. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>